guys, welcome back to our podcast. Uh, this is our second episode. I am Laura. Hi guys, this is Kim. Welcome back to Words to Life. Um, today we're going to be discussing one of me and Laura's favorite books. Actually, we both reread it this week and um, it's it's a really good one. It's The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck by Mark Manson. Yeah, and I'm super excited to be talking about this book because like Kim just said, it's the second or maybe even third time I'm reading it. Um, and there's just a lot of content in this book that I feel tends to be um, like the opposite from what we're learning. And it's just so, it's like a brush, it's a, a breath of fresh air to know that there's still people who, like him, who have such a different perspective of life and can resonate with so many others that may not feel like they're in the right place right now. Yeah. It, um, so pretty much the subtle art of not giving a fuck. The title is just so amazing because it really has to do with, it's not not giving a fuck about anything. It's finding the things that you actually want to give a fuck about. Um, so finding the parts of your life that you really care about and then letting the other parts not bother and worry you so much and weigh over your head so much. Um, so it's really such an incredible book. And he really puts like Laura said, a great perspective on taking the whimsical positivity of yeah. self of personal development and spirituality out of actual real life um, and taking your negative experiences and some of the parts of your life that you're not really that happy about and making them positive. Yeah. And I think this is one of my favorite books because I read it, I think, at a perfect time in my life where... I had already been in the world of personal growth and I was a lot into positive thinking and things like that, which I mean, in a way are really helpful, but I found that it was like many times I felt like this is not real life. Like, you know, there's things that you have to overcome. There's, um, we grow from suffering, we grow from problems. And I guess this was that voice that I was trying to, I guess, find. And he just was able to put it into words and explain it so beautifully. And I just love this book and I'm excited to share with you guys what we but we selected yeah so one of the quotes that i selected that kind of goes goes off that is um the desire for more positive experience is itself a negative experience and paradoxically the acceptance of one's negative experience is itself a positive experience uh, and then he goes on to say so an example of this is the more you desperately want to be rich the more poor and unworthy you feel so he really in these quotes i think is saying that you know that constant seeking that constant I'm not good enoughness is actually what's hindering you. So constantly looking for happiness, constantly like it reminds me actually of a of a meme that I saw where it has a guy, you know, with a little blur. I think so many people have seen it where he has like a little cloud above his head where he's thinking, and he's like, I seek happiness. And then someone comes up and just deletes out the I seek, and it's just happiness. So constantly searching and constantly thinking you're, you know, you're not rich enough. You're, you constantly want that extra car instead of being present and, and mindful of where you are right now and accepting where, what you have right now and being grateful for it. Um, that's how you get away from like the negative aspect of seeking the positive. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, no, 100%. And I think it's like, what, what I really like about this quote and this example is that I feel like in now in the realm of like personal growth and positivity, we get this like wrong notion that you just, I mean, it's okay to visualize and obviously you have to have goals and think of the things they want in the future because you have to work for those things. But we've come to this like place where it's like, just imagine it, just visualize it, like see yourself with all this money. And yeah, yourself. exactly. But it's like, there's a lot of work behind that that needs to happen. And I think we forget that and we think that, okay, I just think about this and then at some point it's going to come. And that's not the way things work. Like, then you have to have a problem. You have to overcome any challenges. And I think I like the way he, he says it, like, you know, and then the more you say, I, I want money and I wake up every day and I want money. That's one thing for me, money, career, money, career, but I'm not doing much about it. Then I'm just reminded that I don't have that. So it's just, you know, remembering like, okay, yes, I want that, but what am I going to, how am I going to enjoy what I have now and how am I going to, I am going to work on it so that I can then accomplish that, but just letting go of that like harsh expectation of like, I need money. I want money. Cause you just reminded that you don't have it. And that actually works. It's counterintuitive. I yeah. guess. Um, another something else that this reminds me of is I think now the whole positive, um, I think you'd mentioned, what was his name? Hicks? Abraham, Hicks. Abraham Hicks. It's like taken out of like meaning. Like I feel yeah. like people 
I like analyze it sometimes different than what it's supposed to be. Yeah, like Abraham Hicks, and I think like there's a lot of other gurus and spirituality teachers that, that teach the same kind of concepts of positivity, like Laura just said. Um, but now there's a movement towards like owning your shadow and shadow work, which is I think I spoke about it and I touched on it in the last episode about like how Buddhism and Eastern philosophy always says that you like the suffering you have to accept the bad parts of yourself. Um, so in shadow work that I read about nowadays, and I've been doing like a couple workshops on it, it's, it's accepting the negative parts of yourself, but not so much as a, like, first you accept that like, okay, maybe I'm not so good at tracking my finances. Maybe I'm not really good at relationships and just owning that part of yourself and being really honest with yourself about it. And then once you accept it, and once you are honest with yourself about it, and you kind of integrate it into your personality, not as a negative thing anymore, but just something, like just one part or one aspect of your personality, it becomes, it's it's really freeing. It's really freeing and it puts you in a more objective perspective where you mm-hmm. can now work on solving it. Mm-hmm. And it's just exactly. not a problem anymore. It's more something that you can actually work to create a solution for. Mm-hmm. And I think also with like the law of attraction and Abraham Hicks, it's like people, um, we, what we tend to do is we tend to think that things are just going to, like I said before, things are just going to happen. And I think what they actually mean with the law of attraction is like, you need to become what you want to attract. Like, yeah, there's a lot of things out there for us and a lot of possibilities, but we need to become that person to attract that. And in order to become somebody who is going to make a lot of money or somebody who is going to do great in, in a business, then you have to work the extra hours. You have mm-hmm. to sacrifice a lot more for that to happen. So it's not like it's just butterflies and rainbows and things just come out of nowhere. It's like becoming that person and then that's what you're going to start attracting. It's just how life is. You know, mm-hmm. like you work for something and, and then it happens for you. So it's part of uh, of that too. Yeah. And it, I mean, it goes later on in the subtle art of on Mark Manson. He, he says, um, to be happy, we need to solve problems. Happiness is therefore a form of action. It's not an activity. So instead of constantly looking for happiness, we have to look at the things that we need to solve, problems that we need to um, you know, solve and, and take action towards. And that's kind of how humanity is. We can't just sit around, you know, law of attraction, waiting for the positive things to come for us. We have to, you know, as Laura says, take action and move towards the thing that we're searching for. And in those small steps forward, it's like progress over perfection. So you have to take the the steps forward to actually get somewhere and that's actually going to make you feel better about yourself in the long run. Yeah. And I think he also says, I love this quote, problems never stop. They are upgraded. And that's, I feel like that's life. Like if we think of the past, like human evolution, like everything, every new thing that came about came with a new problem and a new challenge. It's like when you're a child, your first problem might be learning how to walk or how to speak. Then you finally learn how to walk. Now you need to learn how to run, how to ride your bike. So problems and things like that never stop. And that's just part of life because if we don't have something to look forward to, some challenge to overcome, some something that is purposeful, that is going to make you grow, then I don't know. I feel like life wouldn't be life. Like, what's no. the point of it? Like, we'll just be bored humans, individuals walking around aimlessly. And I feel like problems get such a bad rep, but truly they're, they're what makes us who we are and what makes us who we are going to become. Like, what makes us better people? Yeah. Helps us grow. Yeah, and when they get upgraded, that's the, like, when your problems get upgraded, think about it in the sense of, of you know, you had, for example, a Honda Civic, and now you have a BMW, and but you still have to deal with the maintenance and change, you know, and getting the gas and doing all the things that you have to deal with a car. It's just a better car. So it's almost like like you went from like a tiny shoebox apartment, like for me, I went from tiny shoebox apartment in New York City, you know, and now I'm upgrading. It's just I'm still gonna have to deal with the nuances and bills and the things about dealing with a new place. It's still the same problems essentially. It's just a better place. And that's what happens, like, as we grow older, we look at even bills. Like, I mean, I can imagine now when I'm looking back at myself when I was 20, I probably looked at, like, you know, a $20 bill or $25 bill as so much more. And I'm sure when I'm 50, I'm going to be like, that's chump change. But then I'm going to get a bill for, you know, $5,000. And I'm going to be like, oh, fuck. Like, so, <laughs> so your problem is just, just get better. So really, essentially, we should be hoping for upgraded problems, for better problems as we grow older. Yeah. And with better problems come better ways to find solutions. And I feel like that's where growth happens. Yeah. And it's also, um, we became, we become quicker because as we get older, since we start like 
um, our brain starts adapting to our quick responses to things, we get better at solving problems as we get older. So then when we look back, I mean, it's just like parents when they look at their kids and their kids have these problems with their homework. I remember when I was younger, I used to cry to my mom about my homework, like, oh my gosh, like I'm never going to finish it. My mom would just stare at me and she's like, yes, you are. Like, you know, and the look on her face, it was such a look of like, it's really not that big of a deal, (laughs) you know? But when I was younger, it was like the end all be all of my life. But now those problems, you know, and that's the same way I'll probably look at my kids when I'm older. Like you realize how little those problems were, but they were big to you at the moment. Yeah. No, I, I like that a lot, actually, because I feel like it really puts a lot of things into perspective. So like knowing that you look back at your problems and you kind of laugh at them can remind you like whatever you're facing right now and whatever you're going through right now can have a solution and just focus on how can I solve this and make it better rather than getting so drowned in the emotions and the part that is like, it feels like it's the end of the world because now you know better. Now you you can approach it differently. And I think that's life. Like you don't want to wish for less problems. You want to wish for better ways to solve your problems. So, so yeah, this, this part is really good. Okay. So I think this is a perfect now end to this part of the, the of the book. And we want to now move on to the second part of the book and it's the perfect transition. And the second part that we want to talk about um, is from a chapter called The Valley of Suffering. And I think it's a perfect transition because we were just talking about problems. And obviously with problems come suffering and these feelings that we don't want to face. But there's actually a, a lot of value for, like through suffering or from suffering. And one of the stories that they talk about in this book is during, the war, during World War II. And they're talking about Japan, about Japanese soldiers that were still out in war. And after the war was over, um, the president of Japan at the time wanted to get whoever was left out out there in the, in the, in the forest and the jungle to come back to society because the world the the war was over. So there's this um, Japanese uh, soldier called Onoda, and he's still out there with his man. He's, I think he was a general, if I'm not mistaken. He's still out there with his man. They cannot get them out. They can't find them. And they keep thinking, oh, they actually keep getting like sent uh, messages to saying like the war's over, the war's over, come back home. And they keep thinking it's the Americans trying to trick them mm-hmm. um, to say that the war's over when it's truly not. So decades, like 30 years pass and these men are still out there. Um, and apparently like they all die except for Onoda to the point where people start thinking that maybe he's just like some story or a myth. Um, and we don't, nobody knows if it's true or not. But this other kid, then he's introducing the story. His name was Suzuki. He wants to find Onoda. He's more of an adventurer. He loves to climb, hike, anything. And one, he makes it one of his purposes to go find Onoda. And actually, within four days, he finds him. So he tells Onoda that, you know, things are back to normal. So he finally believes, believes him. And Onoda goes back to, you know, back to real life. And he finds Japan 30 years later. So different. The values have changed so much. It's almost like he has traveled <laughs> to the future and things have changed so much to the point that he becomes depressed even more so than when he was in the jungle because when he was in the jungle he had a purpose he was fighting for something that he so hard um he believed in and now he's back here and this actually is making him depressed things have changed and he's lost all purpose and now he feels like he's suffering you know like now his whole idea of what he was suffering for and his all his values of fighting for his country are now like a lie like they're no longer there it wasn't I don't know like his whole perspective now changed because it's like I suffered and I went through all this for no reason to come back to this now so it felt like it wasn't worth it for him so I love this story because I feel like in life we so many times tend to get lost in this realm of possibilities and things changing all the time and our values are constantly being pulled in each way and when we get like we lose a sense of who we are and our purpose we tend to I feel like become more depressed or like more lost like Onora did like he just kind of you know lost his way he lost the way he, he he was thinking he lost his values and his value of suffering became meaningless so I think in life like knowing what our problems are and knowing what, what we want to work for and like having our purpose is worth suffering through because you don't we're gonna suffer that's inevitable so if we're gonna suffer through something we definitely want to suffer through something that is worth our while and something that we truly believe in yeah um i love this story so much because it really just proves that when you have a strong desire for something um you know for onoda he sat in those i think it was in the philippines or he was in um 
he was in like swampland somewhere and he was just for 30 years he was going into villages and still you know setting fire to farms and and causing all this like type of guerrilla warfare in the name of japan like the love for his country and the love for for the war and wanting his country to you know to win just shows how much like how he had this one goal in mind and he knew what he was doing you know so he was willing to take his men dying to take the suffering of living in this in this foreign place for decades just because he believed in the value of japan you know and then when he gets out of japan and he's sitting in you know i think afterwards they kind of paraded him around japan because he was a ghost like myth kind of story um so they paraded him around japan to all these interviews and stuff and he just saw how at that point japan had been so influenced by the west so those values of the old japan the old way of life the old like family ancestor type of values were gone and now is turning into the more western japan that we probably know more of today um so that japan he wasn't fighting for that's not the japan that he knew right. he knew the japan before and that was the japan that he was willing to to suffer and sit in those jungles for um because he loved you know he had that love for his country and it just shows that that in the end of the day we have to find the things that we're willing to fight for you know the things that we're willing to seep through the mud for to to do all the like the gross you know the sticky horrible things that maybe we don't want to do for like what's our goal what's our purpose what's our end what's our why you know there's a great that book start start with your why like find find the thing that thing that is is your value that moral of your story you know for him it was that japan that old way of life the japan that he knew and that he loved um you know, and that's that's why I love the story so much. Yeah, and I mean, it's such a much, it's such a better job at explaining it than I did. But I think for him having to go back and knowing that what he's suffering wasn't worth it really like reminds me of if you think of all the times you've suffered in your life and how it has been worth it because you've come out better in the end or you've grown from it. And there's also been times where you know, like, oh my god, I can't believe I suffered for that. Like that was so meaningless and and so you know silly. So it's having those values in place and knowing what you're fighting for and like picking the things that you like you said you want to you know you want to suffer for because ultimately you will start picking the wrong fights and the wrong battles and i think that's something that mark messes in the book like we we're all fighting the wrong cause at some point then it's just not something worth living for and that's when we fall into depression or that's when we fall into thinking like what's the point of living if i don't have you know if i feel like i'm not adding value and that's because we just have to I don't know, stick through to who we are and our, and our true values. It just adds so much more to life than just solving every problem out there. I just, I don't know. I yeah. just feel like it's very... No, and I think that comes back to the book, the whole book in general. The subtle art of not giving a fuck is finding the things that you want to give a fuck about. So finding, you know, not having those those grandiose things that you want to give a fuck about, but actually finding those morals, like those values inside of yourself, those your purpose, your, you know... If you're a family person, like, how are you a family person? Like, how how does that extend into every part of your life? You know, if you consider yourself a good worker or, like, you love your work, like, how does that, you know, how do you, you show that at work? Like, how do you find that value system? Like, you know, I think of right now is a good way to kind of talk about this, too, because I think humans, we all, you know, we talk about how we don't want to suffer, how we want an easy life, but really we all kind of love drama. We love suffering. We love watching other people's suffering as sad as that sounds like that's kind of how the original um humans were like we like to be talking about what other people's stories were and like seeing other people whatever we all act like we like to see other people suffering and and see what they're doing but really we all suffer we like to kind of sit in our own shit sometimes we like to play the victim um and i think in this book in this story you really see that when you can hone in where you want to go where you really want to you know, put all of your eggs in that one basket and, and you're willing to take the pain of that one thing, then you can see like how far it'll really take you, you know, cause saying like, saying you want to be a good family person also means that you're going to get into a lot of family fights and you're going to deal with a lot of family shit that you don't want to deal with, you know, saying you love your work and, and you want to, you value your work and whatever you do also means that you're going to deal with a lot of grunt work and you're going to deal with a lot of shit and work that you don't like at all to do. You know, it's not all going to be rainbow and sunshine, like we said before. Like, it's going to be, 
it's the suffering that you want to, you want to find, you know? And I think one quote that we found here that kind of puts that all into perspective is um, if suffering is inevitable, if our problems in life are unavoidable, then the question we should be asking is not how do I stop suffering, but why am I suffering and for what purpose? So suffering isn't necessarily a negative thing like before. It's not, it can actually be towards a good thing. Cause here was Ananda sitting in Japan I mean, sitting in, in the swamplands of wherever he was dealing with the shit, you know, like I can't even imagine him and like two other soldiers, like going into farmlands and just like causing havoc for no reason. But that was his, that was his purpose. I'm doing it for Japan, you know? No. And I think this also goes to talk about um, how we view suffering nowadays. And I feel like for me, the highest, the highest form of like even enlightenment of human life is being able to to sit through your suffering and coming out the other way with a much more objective perspective because i feel like we get so lost in this whole thing again back to the positivity and like what meditating and being enlightened means and it's just like being clear and just sitting and having no problems when the truth is like you've mastered life when you've mastered your suffering like when you've mastered life when you know that your suffering has gotten through you know through all the things that you've been through and like i feel like Yes, maybe it is uncomfortable when it's happening, but how can you know what true success or happiness or all these amazing emotions feel when there's nothing behind it, like when there's no suffering behind it? I feel like that's the um, universal law. Like things have to balance each other out. You have to have negative to have positive. You have to have dark to have light. Otherwise, we wouldn't know these awesome feelings. And I think just being able to view suffering and see it as a form of transformation and transcending to a, a new place in your life is so much more valuable than saying like, oh, I don't suffer at all because I just know how to, you know, I don't have problems. Like that's not the way things are. Yeah. And I think that really, you know, speaks volumes to right now that is the social media age because you only see some people's highlight reels. You only see the best of what people are posting in their life and and their businesses and, you know, and, and you're not seeing all the things that they're doing to like all the... Behind you know, the scenes. Yeah, you don't see it behind the scenes. So you see all these women starting these brands and you're like, oh my gosh, it looks amazing. But you don't see them like trudging all their shit to ship it to to UPS to send to all their customers. So you don't see them, you know, on the phone with their accountant or trying to like make it all work. Like, so social media is such a glamorized um, way to look at things. Like you look at the Kardashians and you see, oh wow, they all look so beautiful, but like, you know, they're all fucked up too. (laughs) Like, No, and like they're rich in this, but like the they've also have to put in the work and we don't see that part that is the more real humane aspect of life like for things to happen you have to in a way work for them and i think that's why social media can sometimes be so detrimental especially for younger children because we become so entitled and we in like what do you say how do you say that again when uh, the instant gratification like we think things are going to happen overnight and it just completely destroys our whole our whole perspective of life and like it just distorts reality in a way yeah it makes us feel like we're not yeah it distorts reality i just just yeah and we don't realize that there's actually value in in or we don't see that there's value in working on something for a long period of time and like dealing with the grunt work and dealing with the you know negative parts of it are also the positive parts of it you know it actually reminds me of like i, I didn't mention this too laura but <laughs> i was watching this um documentary last night on netflix called blackpink you heard it no no it's about these it's about these um four korean girls well they're not all like full korean but whatever so it's like you know k-pop do you know k-pop i think yeah yeah okay you need to watch it but um so in k-pop these girls um they all want to become like stars you know and i guess in in korea what they do is they literally start these girls and these boys like for these these groups they start them at like 11 years old or like 10 years old they go to the recording label and you know these girls that like to dance they like to sing um and they make them work no joke for like five six years in this place they sing dance like every single day the girls that they had um 14 days on of 14 hour days and then one day off like that's how they went for five six years and these girls like loved singing and dancing and now they're like the most famous female k-pop group in the world like they performed at coachella and they're making millions and millions of dollars and they're like super famous um but like listening to the girls talk about trainee camp because because they were there for you know one of them was six years but it was like four to six years that they were there every single day and every month they would um like they would show videos of them every single month. These like 
15 year old girls would be put in front of a group, like a huge group of all the producers and recording label people once a month to grade how well they were doing. Oh my God. Yeah. But the whole point of it was like the girls afterwards were talking about how trainee camp for them was the most fun. Like it was the most grueling and it was the most like horrible like part, but it was also the best part of it. Like they were crying and like, you know, like you can imagine when you work that amount of time for something that you really, really are passionate about, like how much emotion comes out and how much like, you know, just like trauma, like you're, you're crying one day, the next day you feel so high. And, and they were saying that like, they would call home, one of the girls who is obsessed with singing and she's wanted to be a singer her whole life. She would call home to her parents and she, you know, crying and telling them all the horrible things. And her parents would be like, come home, come home. And she would tell them, she's like, I would always be so unhappy when they would say come home because there's no way I was going home. Like I actually loved the suffering. Like I loved, you know, that part of it. And they, well, all of them now they're super famous, but it's so interesting because now they look back at that, training part the most horrible part where like you can imagine like I can't even imagine being a 15 year old girl with like 20 guys in a room judging how I'm singing and dancing like in a provocative way um and that for them was the most valuable time because that's when they honed their skills that's when they became better at you know at what they loved that's when their real passion came out that's when they found each other like in the group um and it just shows like the story I think because it's the value of the training, the value yeah. of the part that you don't like, like value in the process in the, in like be mindful of like, you know, it's like people say you always look at the end of the journey, but the journey is actually the best part. Like all of those hours that you spent, you know, suffering were the hours that are actually the best hours. Like you look back, I mean, I'm sure if you asked any famous person or actress or celebrity or whatever, like now, yeah, they're all sitting high and pretty with their millions of dollars and in their mansions, but I'm sure they loved it when they were 20 years old, you know, out of their shitty apartment, finding like their one role that got them that Oscar. Like that's for them. That's where they found their value. Exactly. And obviously like each story is different. And I mean, yeah, 15 days in a row, that's obviously a little too much for young people, but that's, the still the whole point of the story is to say like from suffering comes growth and yeah. we become the pe- the person we need to be like if you want to be sitting down like kim just said like an actor or an actress a famous actor and actress with a million dollars in your mansion like you're gonna have to become whoever you need to be to get to that point yeah. it doesn't happen overnight it doesn't happen just in a blink of an eye and also i think when you were mentioning the whole story and like us not knowing you know and like social media and all of this instant gratification and everything we've just been talking about it also speaks a lot about our society today why people are always so unhappy and seeking for so many different things because things just come so much easier that if you have no suffering you don't find the same value Mm -hmm. so if you become rich overnight you're not going to make it it's not going to feel as great as it did for those girls after having worked six years Mm -hmm. and then i mean it's just it's just a whole different story so the person who did it overnight is going to be like oh this is it they're going to move on and they're not going to enjoy the actual destination because it's never about the destination it's about the process to get there because once you get to a destination you found you find a new one but i feel like when there's more value to how you got there then you get to enjoy it more and it's meaningful to you versus you just getting things so easy it's like when you think of when you think get things for free like let's say you get a gym membership for free you're probably not going to go as much as you want to because i mean whatever you don't pay for it you go maybe twice a week that's it but if you're the one the person working uh, you know, countless hours to be able to pay your $200 gym membership because you want to go to that specific gym, you're going to go to the gym every single day yeah. because you find the value in it and you find the value, you know how much you have to work to be able to to get to that point. So I think suffering, there's a lot of value in suffering that we don't see and that we're told like, oh no, suffering is not good. But the truth is that's what builds us and makes us stronger. Yeah. Um, well, now we're going to move on to... One of my favorite parts of the book, um, it's the chapter is called Freedom Through Commitment. And in it, Mark Manson was talking about how when he first started his business, um, where he was writing on his blog, um, he decided, you know, he started this internet business and he was doing really well. So he, of course, as like a mid 20 year old, wanted to go travel the world and go to a million different places and work off his laptop because you know, at that point, it was something that was a little bit more glamorized and not something that, you know, nowadays everybody does. So he went and he went to all these different countries and he tasted all these different cultures. And he was also a little bit of a a man whore, if I'm going to be honest, and I'm sure he would agree with that statement. So of course he was, you know, 
having sex with a million women and, and just like experiencing the whole thing. Um, but then he realized after a while that um, that feeling of like constantly, constantly searching that feeling of, of, you know, looking for the next country for the next ride for the next, like that, like constant, like shallow seeking wasn't getting him anywhere. And what he needed in the end of the day was committing to things. Uh, I think he said in the book, something perfect where he was like, you know, if you're somebody that has never traveled before, when you travel to your first country, it's like such an eye-opening experience for you. So you see this new country and it really does open your eyes to new things and can change like your brain wiring. But once you've traveled to 50 countries, the 51st country is not going to make one bit of a difference. You know, it's the same as also in the book, he gave the example of when we first drank, like when you first had your first taste of alcohol and you went out with your friends and like, you know, stole alcohol from your parents. And it was like such an experience and it felt so amazing. But once you like, remember, once you turn 21, once you start drinking, like there's no real like amazingness about it. It doesn't like all the like glamour of it has kind of gone out. Um, and really we need to find the, the value in, in committing to things. And instead of having all of those, you know, we mentioned before having a million choices, focusing on one. Um, and one of the quotes he said was while investing deeply in one person, one place, one job, one activity might deny us the breadth of experience we'd like pursuing the breadth a breadth of experience, it denies us the opportunity to experience the rewards of depth of experience. And then he goes on to say, I can finally recognize that commitment in its own way offers a wealth of opportunity and experiences that would otherwise never be available to me, no matter where I went or what I did. And for me, this is, yeah, for me, this is so, you know, this touches really personal to me because I've moved around a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of my life. I've, um, you know, I lived in Europe. I lived in South America. Um, I think I counted, I've, I've moved about 13 times, like different apartments and just everything. Um, and you know, my dad was, was the type of guy like Midwesterner that wanted to experience it all. Like he wanted to take his, his family to a million different countries. And he like, whenever they had a new position somewhere, of course it was the eighties and nineties. So not a lot of people, wanted to travel the way that that um, nowadays people do uproot their families and will go somewhere for their job. But back then it wasn't so something that people did. Um, so we went to and experienced all these different cultures and, and always had a new school to go to, et cetera. But in the end of the day, you know, me and my sister have this conversation where we feel like we lost kind of that sense of home, that sense of, of commitment, of having that one place that's that's really yours you know, and I don't say it like there's no bad and good to either one, but there is a value in like standing still. There's a value in, in not constantly searching for all those things. You know, I think so many people, especially when you grow up not traveling, I grew up traveling, but people that that don't grow up traveling, they're like, oh my gosh, I want to like travel for five years or I want to travel for all this time. And I love traveling too, but now as I'm getting older like I just look around and I'm like I just want to you know I want a a home like I want a place that's mine like I want you know traveling is always going to be there it's always going to be something that I'm going to do but coming back to a place that's mine that you have invested in that you found social relationships in that you've worked in your job in that you found something of value in is is there's so much wealth in that, you know, and what he says, like the breadth of experience versus the depth of experience that resonates so much for me. Cause you know, I can just imagine how he was traveling to all these, all these countries, just constantly searching and being able to, it's also like kind of like a little chip on your shoulder. He's like, Oh, I've been in all these million amazing places. But at the end of the day, I look at my friends that have lived in the same place their whole lives and there's definitely a ping of jealousy there because I'm like, damn, like you kind of had it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like you had that that home. You had the same room your whole life. Like I, I don't even know what that's like, you know, like having to redo <laughs> your room like all of those years. I never had that. Like having, you know, the same group of friends and me and my sister, we we talk about this now because we, we both kind of struggle with this now that we – um like our friend groups now, we feel like kind of outsiders in them because we weren't there 
long enough. Long enough. We weren't there from the beginning. Like they talk about stories like, oh yeah, I remember when you had braces or I remember you like back in the day when you had this, that, other thing. Like I remember like, you know, like they can like, like friends that have known each other forever can almost like name the scars that you have on your body. Like they know where they all came from. They knew you from the very beginning. And we like don't, you know, there's a kind of a sadness that comes from it because like you don't have that. I don't have that. But I see now like, wow, like that having that commitment, finding those, like finding just like that place and just kind of committing to a place, committing to a job, committing to, you know, to a car, like committing to any of the friendships. It's, there's so much value in that. And I think it also, it like, it increases your opportunity in like finding your enoughness, like the thing, instead of constantly seeking. Cause for me also, like I mentioned this to Laura earlier, it comes from a place of, um, not enough. Yeah, like not enough and also constantly searching for this for the next thing. I'm like, oh my gosh, like when is the end gonna come? You know? Where is where is that like final I, I almost see it in my head as like and I've, this has been ingrained since childhood, like this this tiny little glimmering hope of like the end, you know. I remember when my dad when he would sit us down and be like, We're moving again, I would in my like my little child like head be like, Okay, so this next place is the place. Like this yeah. is the home place, like this is the place we're gonna be forever. And now like that I realize is never is never going to happen. Like this there's never going to be that shining glimmering end of the like road amazing place. So instead, commit to where you are now. Like commit to the things that you are now and find the mundane things like you know, they may not be so glamorous. They may be a little mundane and boring at times, but find the beauty in those, you know? Yeah. And I think it's important to like I guess to give a little bit of context to know that, of course, like people, there's families who live in the same country and they make it a point to travel every year because that's part of their, you know, their family, I don't know, thing to do. And that's fine. And it's okay to, I feel like travel and get all these experiences. And I'm sure you had amazing things that many people didn't have for having grown up that way. But I think the way Kim is saying it and the way he's, um, Mark is explaining it in the book is also that obviously Kim at the age, you were not escaping your, your reality. But the whole point of has become so ingrained of you that going to a next place that it has become like a way of living. Like what's next? And I think for Mark Manson, he was kind of escaping his reality. He was kind of like, you know, like trying to suffice like this need of like what's next, what's next, what's, what's next. Um, and it wasn't a healthy habit of, of I want to go travel and like see this place. It was more mm-hmm. like how can I make my experience more exciting and all these like stimuli that then he never felt like he was enough. And I agree 100% with Kim because I did move to the U.S., but I moved here when I was 14. So for 14 years, I was in the same hometown. Maybe I moved homes once. I moved to my same house when I was like one or two and then lived up up until I was 12. But it's so meaningful because my best friends are still my best friends from Colombia. And I've been living in this country for 12 years and they're still my best friends. And I talk to them and it's like, they know, like you said, they know everything about me. So it's like, our friendship is so strong in, in foundation that me having moved away hasn't changed much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I haven't lived the same things they have and moving after, obviously, after I moved here. But because our, you know, our childhood was so strong and our foundation was so strong and we knew each other so well, it becomes like a very strong base foundation to have. So I think what he's also explaining in the book, and this also brings me back to the whole like social, social media and the way we live life right now, like yeah there's beauty to having all these options and there's beauty to being having like easy access to travel to try new courses try new things there's but at the same time it becomes so overwhelming mm-hmm. and that's something for me like especially in my career because I'm always like what what do I do I have this idea then I have this idea and, and yeah it's you know I have all this creativity but it's at the same time like I need to sit down and do something because you can end up doing a lot of nothing yeah exactly. and when you don't have something that you hone into that you commit to that you grow then there's no value in it. Like he was saying, like he traveled and he did all of this and he was with all these women, but at the end of the day, like he felt empty still because there's no such thing as the next, the next thing or there's no such thing as a final destination. Like Kim was saying, there isn't one. You have to make what you have valuable. And something that I like a lot in the book is like, he traveled all this much, like you've done all these things. And if you want more depth and if you want to do more because obviously as humans we evolve and we grow and we face new things every day it's like try to become better at what you are now a better husband a better wife a better boyfriend girlfriend a better friend brother sister 
a better, I don't know, like cleaning your house, like things like that, that you already do that are just going to add value to your life. And yeah, maybe it's not a breath of experiences, like he says, but there's, you can't compare breath and death. Like it's just, no. it's not the same. It's not. And I think as humans, we start seeking for that at some point in our lives. Yeah, we have a time when we want to explore and see, but we all come back to the same, to build in value and to have, and to feel like we have, I don't know, build something important and strong enough in our lives that we're proud of. Otherwise, it's just, it just feels like a bunch of like nothing. I don't know. Yeah. And I think that goes well with relationships too. Mm-hmm. Not only friendships, but in, in love relationships, the breadth of experience, you know, I think now in the dating world, everyone has so many options. And it's so easy to like just meet oh a my million gosh. people. They just day. like, like on the apps or going here, like they don't give somebody the time and the space to actually prove themselves to be somebody that they could actually you know, spend the rest of their life with. And, and I think, um, especially in relationships, like that honeymoon period is beautiful. And, and like I said before, like you can glamorize it and it's like, so, you know, you're going on dates and you feel so nice and happy and like airy, but really like the beauty in life comes in the, after that, like that comes in the, in the mundane, it comes in the waking up and having, you know, coffee with someone every single day. Like it happens in the seeing them in the ugly parts. And that's where like Laura was saying that her friends, you know, she has those, her friends now because they know her through everything. And that's where the freedom comes through the commitment. Cause when you commit to these relationships, be them love or friendship or, you know, your family, your mother, your father, like they, they love you through everything. They've seen every part of you, the ugly and the good, and they love you. You can't even, I mean, can anyone really describe the way that they love their mother? Like, I don't think anyone, no one can really speak to it. It's such a depth inside of you. Like, there's so much, there's so much there, you know, versus meeting a new acquaintance and having, like, a good, fun night with them, like, on a Thursday. And, like, oh, yeah, they were fun. But there's no, like, real depth and meaning there. Um, And I think in relationships, like, we have to realize, we have to get past, like, in the whole book, he talks about getting past this whole, the whole, like, positive part, the honeymoon period, the, the you know, the, the, the pretty parts and get to like the real meaningful stuff. Cause once he stopped, you know, start, stopped being the man whore that he was and committed to, to one woman. And he saw, like, he saw the amazing things that that long-term relationship could bring him. Yeah. And I think relationships are so important nowadays because with all these apps, there's all these options that we feel and, like I said, this this we're talking about relationships right now, but this applies to everything. It's like we have all these options, um, Tinder, Bumble, I don't even know, I've never used one, but of men. And like you you kind of like want something, but then you have all these other 50 options that you making one decision is becomes more difficult. Like if you have two people to pick from, then you are so sure about, yeah, I want this one instead, and things become easier and simpler, and you're so confident in your choice. But you having 100 people to pick from, you're always going to have that like, fear of like did I pick the right person or you know was this the right decision and it becomes like this terrible like feeling of you not being even you know secure about yourself and your options so it's so important when you pick a partner to like yeah like obviously if you're not happy and it's been a while like you need to know when to stop but it's like choosing like Kim said choosing the person that you see yourself in the long run and then making a commitment to stick to that and because the fluffy and the butterflies and the fairies pass but like you have to pick the right person for you, the person that, you know, I don't know, like meets you where you need. And I think for both of us, like, I don't think you and I have ever used any of these apps. I don't know. But like we both oh, come I have. from, <laughs> okay, but we both have, we're both are relationship girls. And like, yeah, I feel yeah. like my friends we always ask me girls. like, how do you do it? Like, how do you, like, how can you always find somebody so quick? And it's just like, I've never been on one on the apps. Not because like, I just, I just didn't have a chance. But I think for me, it's always been like, I don't like, I just know what I want. I'm very specific when it comes to like a man and I know exactly what I want. And I think that once I find someone worth my time, it's probably because that person is going to be someone that's going to, that I'm going to be with, you know, unless like they suddenly like change and like they show this whole side of them. But it's yeah. like, but it's just much easier when you have less options because then things don't become so complicated, like a closet. Like think of women. We have some, sometimes I'm going out and I'm like, oh no. And then you're like, I have nothing to wear. Even I have yeah. nothing to wear. But then you have your two favorite dresses, you're traveling, and it's always going to just pick one. Yeah. Like, yeah. like options make things sometimes difficult. It's like an ocean. Sometimes I feel like it's an ocean, and you're trying to go ashore, but you're in the middle, and you look around, and you just don't know which way to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, it's, and it becomes really, like, it's lonely. Like, and it becomes, 
you're paralyzed. What happens is yeah. you're just paralyzed and you don't make a choice. Um, and I think like for me with the apps, it's not I remember, valuable. Oh no, it's not valuable saying. at all. And I remember for me with the apps, when I was in the apps, I, I looked at them in such a different way though. Like I can imagine girls now when I was doing the apps, I did it in a very freeing way. Like I was like, I'm going to go on these apps. I didn't expect any of them to be like relationships. I was like, I'm just going to do this for fun. It was the first time I was dating in in like 10 years. So I was like, okay, like this is just going to be fun, whatever. Um, but I think now there's a lot of girls that I've spoken to that they get really disheartened by the apps because they look at them and they see all these different options, like you said, and they're just like, oh, like which one's going to be like it, you know, like instead of looking at it in like a freeing way, the way that I was, they look at it as like, almost a burden. And it's like dating shouldn't be a burden, like finding your like your partner, or the person that you want to be with for a long period of time or even a short period of time, like, you know, you shouldn't it shouldn't be a burden. There should be value in every single relationship that you have. I mean, I mean, Laura, that both had long relationships that like ended. I still find that like, there's still a lot of value in those oh, yeah. relationships. Um, and that commitment, like, got that value. Like, it was through that commitment that we got that value instead of just because really going on all these dates and meeting all these people and having those surface conversations, you know, that those like those conversations that you're having with them aren't like really that, you know, yeah. it's you're not going to get far. And that actually reminds me of of another Netflix show, as you can tell during quarantine, I've been like, watching all these shows, Indian Matchmaking. Have you heard of that? No, no? I, don't, I don't watch Oh that my gosh. Yeah. Good. So um, Indian Matchmaking, it got a lot of flack because it's, it's pretty much this Indian matchmaker that she um, has all these like Indian, like the youth, like they're like Indian, all Indians and they're younger kids, like they're our age or a little bit younger and they're looking for somebody they want to get married with. Right. And she's an older woman and she, and they've all done everything. They've all done the apps and all of that stuff. And now they're going back to like more old school way of finding someone, which was, is getting a matchmaker, which I guess in India is, is a pretty normal thing that a lot of um, parents do for their children. And in the show, like this older woman, she's so funny because she, when she goes up to the, like the, the, her, one of her clients, she gives them two options. Like she doesn't give them like, you know, can you imagine her? She has uh, Rolodex of like a million people that she's trying to match. Like she has so many people, but when she goes to her client, she literally gives them two options. Like she's like, this is the two options for the person that you're going to go on a date with. Hmm. And like, they have to choose right there. And it's, and like the show got a lot of flack because people were like, Oh my gosh, it gets so like, you know, patriarchy. And like, that's the, you know, like that's not the way that like, it's not finding, but it's like, okay, like I understand all of that part, but there is a value in that. Like we've said, I think throughout this episode in the old way of doing things in the, in the, you know, the simplicity of it. And then just having two people in front of you and choosing. Yeah. That way you don't have any second doubts. And I mean, it's obviously not to talk bad about apps because I feel like they do bring some value. Like you do meet people that you would have never met. Yeah, it's true. But, um, and that's, and there's value in that, but I think it's, it becomes also just like a pool of choices. I feel like even like I've talked to, about this with my boyfriend, like he would be like, you know, like, yeah, sure. You would take a girl out and this is from a men's perspective, but you know, there's all these other girls also in line. So it's like, you kind of, you know, you kind of want to go out with them all just to pick the right one. And then it just becomes like, I feel like all these options and all these choices and all these toppings that is hard to even taste like when you have an ice cream and you put all these toppings in here you can you forget about what the ice cream even tastes like yeah it's kind of like losing that that more simple and and i don't know sustainable like way of having a relationship i guess I, yeah yeah so i mean this is why I, this part of the book really resonated with me because commitment i think as we get older is something that you know, I think our, our, as millennials, we kind of look at commitment as like, a, we're like, oh, we don't even want to commit to like a job. We don't even want to commit to like an apartment. That's that's my, that's you know, my like we don't want to commit to anything. We're like, no, no, no. But like, if we actually committed to something and, and stuck with it and see where it takes us, like, you have no idea what, how freeing that must feel like that. Just like having that one person or that one job or that one whatever and this is what you're like if somebody came up to me right now and i'm sure laura's the same if somebody came up to me right now i was like kim you're gonna be a rocket scientist this is what you're gonna do like this is it for you now just focus on that like it's almost free i would be so i feel so free because i'm like okay cool i'm a rocket scientist now and that's all i'm gonna do like i'm not gonna focus on anything else and this is where i'm gonna put my focus on yeah and like if you and think about it, it's like even like people who play sports like I grew up playing tennis and I played tennis for eight, nine, 10 years. And when I think of one of the best moments of my life and what I remember and what I feel like was something like 
worthwhile was playing tennis because I had to do that for 12 consecutive years. And it's not like I was playing soccer, tennis, and all the sports, you know, like changing all the time. So it is actually one of the best things in your life. What makes you disciplined? I'm sure every person who plays sports can say this, you know. But now it's like, you know, you don't have a lot of things that you work constantly for for a long period of time. And it's like, yeah, we have a lot of choices and options and we try many things, which is great. But there's not a lot of value. Like there's a point where we have to hone down and, you know, select what we want. And I think doing that just brings so much more value to my life. And I think Kim was saying this resonates with her in that way. But with me, it's more like my career. Like yeah. I have a goal in mind and I think I get so distracted by what, how the ways people are attaining this goal or, or doing things. And I start trying all these different things, many things which do not resonate with me and who I am, obviously nothing out of my integrity, but like it becomes like all these options that I just find myself overwhelmed and like unhappy when if I just stick to what I know I like and I enjoy that and the end goal will eventually come maybe it'll take longer maybe it'll take less it doesn't matter but if i'm enjoying the process and i'm building it like a foundation like a, like a building with a strong foundation then it's gonna be i'm gonna get to where i need to go but it's based on my values and i'm picking the the fucks that i want to give and based on my suffering so i think that makes a big difference yeah for sure um well i think that's about it you guys that was a great i think we really rounded out that book a lot because that was there was a, there really is so much more in the book but i think we we gave it a good run and all of like the topics that really hit home for us um and if you haven't read this book like really it's a really good book to read on audible i will say that like yes. the, the voice on audible is amazing um and it really made it like a fun like i would listen to it in the car like on the way to work or like you know running errands and stuff it was really really like a fun book to read but then rereading it again and getting like even more value out of it um, it's definitely a book that I think I'm going to come back to more times in my life and I'm definitely going to keep rereading because it's so much fun to read. Um, and it also just hits home in so many different ways. So, um, yeah. And just to end, like definitely is a book that I think can resonate with many people. Uh, as we were saying at the beginning, we're in a, in a space and time where, you know, personal growth and, and positivity and all these things are just, are like the main thing right now. There's, I don't even know how to say this, but it's not a la moda. Like, yeah, they're, they're, they're trending. They're, they're trending. trending. Yeah, yeah, there you go. And it's so easy to get lost in what everyone has to say. And there's so many authors or people who claim themselves gurus. And like, you just listen to all these options. And I'm sure many people like myself, you know, might feel like, yeah, I mean, it's all great and positive, but it's not, it doesn't feel like reality. And, and, and many times people get lost and have nothing to resonate to. So I think this is one of those books where you're like, okay, it doesn't have to be perfect and happy all the time. Like yeah. I get to like, sometimes feel like shit and that's fine. Yeah. Or, and you know, I get to suffer and that's fine because that's part of life. So I think this book is very realistic. Mm -hmm. And I mean, he still says, you know, when you reach this point, you still, you know, you still work for the things that you want to, and you actually are more free to accomplish that. But it's having these expectations that are like not real, what constantly makes us feel worse about ourselves. So I think if you're one of those people, this is going to be a great book for you. And yeah, we hope you guys enjoyed the podcast. Yeah, we hope you enjoyed um, today's episode. And um, if you did, please comment on and rate our episode. We would really appreciate it. Um, and if you have any questions or anything else you, you want to talk about in the book, please write it in the comments or you can actually, you know, let us know. Um, and yeah. And if you've read it and had a good experience, also let us know. Yeah. All right. Well, bye guys. Thank, Thank you, guys. you for listening. Bye.